0: A Podcast One production. This is Global Truths with Dr. Keith Souter. We're talking about white supremacy. There was a really interesting article, Keith, um, that you drew my attention to in the New York Times recently that talked about how when white supremacy first um, came about, the... Um, they There really wasn't enough attention paid, and suddenly, it's so prevalent now that no one knows how exactly to deal with it, particularly in America where it's just rife.
1: Yeah, So the background to this is that um, an excellent article in the New York Times um, from um, earlier in two thousand eighteen uh third of November. So they're looking at, the way in which the American security system is very much focused on Islamic terrorists, who I think are a bit of a sideshow, the real issue is white terrorism. If you're living in the United States, you're far more likely to be killed by a white right-wing male terrorist, probably with a Christian background, than you are with a Muslim. And so there's a real problem, in my view, about how we, we look at this. Now, What is interesting is that the article in the New York Times fits in with a lot of other stuff, talking about the the work done by a guy called Daryl Johnson. So Daryl Johnson used to um, work for FBI, and he was approached by um, a young senator from Illinois, Barack Obama, who said that he was thinking of running for the presidency, but did he know of anybody who was likely to be causing violence against a black political candidate? And Daryl Johnson checked out uh, for the senator FBI's files and Department of Homeland, well, Department of Homeland Security, and, they, and he noticed that, in fact, there was no investigation being done about white terrorism. They're, and this is
0: like generation after the Ku Klux Klan.
1: That's right. So, the, but they'd assumed that the KKK issue had gone, and FBI Department of Homeland Security, when they thought of terrorism, they thought and politically motivated violence, uh, they thought of Muslims in America or perhaps Muslims overseas. They were not willing to look at their own people, you know, the white the white folk. So. Um, he said, well, look, I will carry out more of an investigation for this. In the fullness of time, of course, the young senator from Illinois, ranked 99 out of 100, this junior senator becomes the American president, right, 2008. And so in 2009, Daryl Johnson produces a report, an alarming report on uh, what is going on with white extremism. Um so you have various militia groups that are operating their slogan basically is I love my country but I'm scared of my government therefore I've got to have a gun to defend myself. So, so this
0: is and this was building under George Bush.
1: Yeah, well it goes back beyond George Bush but yeah. So um but he was the one of course who was very much associated with the war on terror. Um but it, it has continued to this day, this neglect of white terrorism. Now, uh, Daryl Johnson produced this report. It was an in-house report, but it got leaked to right-wing media outlet. And the right-wing media outlet forced the government, this spineless president, which they had, Obama, to back down and disown the report, even though the report is spot on.
0: What? It yeah, doesn't I know. make any sense. Why, how would they do that?
1: Well, because they just simply whipped up the media, and don't forget, Republican politicians are saying you're talking about our voters. Now, of course, a lot of them just don't vote Republican anyway. They they regard the Republicans as too left wing and too soft. But the, the Republicans could see that potentially some of their voters was going to get were going to get targeted by the monitoring of these right wing groups, and so they then whipped up this media storm. And the Obama administration backed down. And Daryl Johnson later resigned. Um, He now runs his own consultancy. He's a really impressive individual, but betrayed by the White House, um, who wouldn't defend his report.
0: So what did it show exactly? That there were militias operating, that the numbers of white supremacists was growing in America, that their influence was growing as well? Or and, it still and they're grassroots? carrying...
1: Yeah, so it's not just Ku Klux Klan, but you've got all sorts of, of neo-Nazi groups generally, etc. So he was warning about what we're seeing today with, the, with this upsurge, particularly under Trump, of this extremist action. Don't forget the Tea Party movement was getting underway. And the Tea Party movement would have contained people who were very much to be scrutinised by uh, the uh, Daryl Johnsons of this world if they've been allowed to be scrutinised. So the Tea Party end of the Republican Party said, you are beginning to or trying to monitor what we are doing. Um, Of course, Trump comes along and becomes the voice for the, the alienated people within the Tea Party.
0: So a lot of these guys.
1: A lot of these guys now come out of the woodwork. Their point of view is respectable.
0: They find, yeah, they feel empowered. They
1: feel empowered, yeah. Now, within the American tradition, you talk about the Ku Klux Klan, which was after the American Civil War. Um, and that yeah, is yeah, what
0: was the basis of them? So they came out after the the uh, the American Returnal. Civil
1: War, yeah. eighteen sixty-one to eighteen sixty-five.
0: In Gone with the Wind. Yeah. <laughs>
1: <laughs> so eighteen sixty-five. North the South. The South loses. But the Confederates, some of the Confederates want to continue. Now, in the early, what are called the Reconstruction years, so it's 1865, for a few years, blacks do quite well. But then the South begins to exert pressure in Congress again, even though they lost the Civil War. And the gains that the blacks made were then taken away from them. And they lost them for almost 100 years. So that's why we get back the Civil Rights Movement of Martin Luther King Jr., etc., cetera. Um, and so the the Ku Klux Klan consisted of former Confederate soldiers from the South who wanted to keep the pressure on the black population it's as though they never lost the war, which is your attitude in Gone with the Wind. You know, tomorrow's another day. We'll keep the struggle going. So the KKK continued around. Uh, It it morphed into all sorts of different variations. But that streak in American politics of being um, anti-black, anti-Jewish, anti-Semitism that strand has always been around, and it rises and it falls from time to
0: time, and I think you spent you, you'd speak to a lot of people who have traveled around the south of America and there's still very much a divide, oh yeah, right in the deep south, like Alabama and you know all those country, all the states along there, just black and whites just absolutely, don't yeah, don't really mix,
1: yeah. They're they're very different worlds, yeah. Uh, What is interesting, I find now, I've got to say, in the the United States is that you do now have a black middle class and um, 90% of black children are raised by single parents, usually the mums. So there's a huge amount of family breakdown. Barack Obama himself is a product of a single parent. But it's interesting to note that Mrs. Obama had parents who stayed together right the way through to the end until her father died She represents a good role model for blacks. In other words, she came from a stable family background. All her side of the family did well. And indeed, until recently, she earned more money than he did. He was just an ordinary politician. She was the one with a good business brain. And she's got siblings who've done well in business as well. So that side of the Obama family represent good role models um for other blacks so you've now got an emerging black middle class the obamas being the standard example um so you've got an emerging black middle class as well as still having poor blacks and of course what you see now is you've also got an increasing number of poor whites right the whites are used to being rich and now they say well you've got these blacks who are rich and we are poor that is part of that anger within the united states and so, this is also feeding into this white extremism. So, you've got these people, sometimes called the left behinds, people who feel that they're not doing well with globalization. They're losing the jobs, the old manufacturing jobs, the old coal mining jobs. They're all going. Um, they're not able to make the transition across to the new area, the service sector, etc. cetera. You can't take a coal miner out of West Virginia and get him to make coffee as a barista in New York, for example. Uh, ideally, you should, but you can't. So what, what I find fascinating is that in the United States, unlike elsewhere, where you get similar restructuring going on, in America, everybody can get access to a gun very easily. And, th- and you've therefore got this mentality that we can get guns, we have a right to bear arms enshrined within the Bill of Rights and the American Constitution that's never going to be scrapped, that will always exist in the United States. So you've, you've got that ability to buy guns, so you've got anger and the ability to do something with that anger because of mass shootings. Now, what the Daryl Johnson report has warned about is that um, if you have somebody who goes into court accused of carrying out a shooting and raises his fist saying you know hail hitler he doesn't get any coverage if that same if that person were to say allah akbar in other words making an islamic statement they will get coverage but instead we just, we they just write the person up as being a, a, a white person with a mental illness and what Daryl johnson is saying is that we've just got to monitor these people. There's a lot of widespread white extremism going on. These people need to be scrutinised. And then the Republicans opposed what Johnson had to recommend. And as I say, Johnson now runs his own private consultancy. He's given up with the US government.
0: So Trump, you know, it's a dangerous line that he walks in terms of his messaging, because he's trying to appeal to these people. But then you've got a huge amount of black people and Hispanics in America. So is there... What what's the population split between how many white people in America are white and then how many people are black and Hispanic? Because isn't he just cutting off both Hispanics and absolutely yeah with his rhetoric?
1: With his rhetoric, he's alienating those people. We have what in America what's called the browning of America and the ground and the graying of America. So the graying represents the whites who are living longer. In most cases, although many are dying, I've got to say for the third year in a row, there's been a decline in life expectancy in the United States um, because of the opioids, suicides. These are Trump voters, right? But these are whites, right? Hispanics are living longer. Blacks are living longer, right? They're all doing well. It is this um, white, middle-aged, non-college educated population, men and women, who are killing themselves, suicide, alcohol, alcohol. Opioids, etc. So, what is it? so? That's the graying of America, and then you've got the browning of America because of the arrival of the Hispanics, um, and, and and you've also got blacks who are having children as well. So, it's, uh, by the year twenty fifty, the whites will not be the dominant population group. America will be um, a country of minority populations, including whites as a minority population within the United States.
0: This is Global Truths with Dr Keith Suda. We're talking about the rise of white nationalism and the the problems it's posing in America and how it's been around obviously since the Ku Klux Klan, but... Um, that it's gone largely ignored in America for the last 10 years and there's this big grassroots movement that's now just gotten so much momentum and particularly with Trump now at the helm. But as we were talking about, the numbers aren't in his favour because if he's going to keep going on about Hispanics and and black, well, he doesn't really go on about blacks, but it's just his it's yeah. wording, isn't it? It's the that's way right. he messages yeah, things, the he phrases things, yeah. empowering white um, white uh, voters. Um, but it just... it's it, it strikes me as dumb because you're, yeah, isolating all those voters in the middle.
1: Well, the clear explanation of that is that because you do not have compulsory voting in America, you've got to energise your base. Mm. You want angry voters to get out there to wade through the snow in a November election, right? The elections that always in November, and the weather is usually bad. So you've got to get people out to vote. Now in Australia, you don't you don't get the same degree of extremism. Because people are forced to vote. And so in Australia, you tend to get a movement towards the middle. So really, Labour and Liberal are, are very difficult to tell apart. <laughs> so, yes. You know, Malcolm Turnbull could easily be the leader of a Labour Party, really, given the, some of the views that he's expressed. Um, so, and the same with, I'm almost a Scott Morrison type figure as well. So in Australia, we have a movement towards this bland middle. In the United States, by contrast, you've got to energize your base to get them out there to vote. Remember the great uh, campaign s- slogan of President Bush, of George Bush, the year 2000, 2004 God, gays, and guns. We love God, hate gays, and think everybody should have a gun. Did you and say it that? worked. Yeah. Did say that it? was that the standard expression. Verbatim? Ber- yeah. Well, that was the theme of, of the speeches that we would give. They were the things that he would focus on. For example, he was talking about a constitutional amendment to ban gay marriage. Now, of course, that would never happen, right? You can't amend the US Constitution. It's so difficult. But it played well to his constituents. This is, well, no, I've got to, let me just be quite clear. This is not George Bush. This was Karl Rove. Bush's brain, right? Yes. So he is a Svengali who was working for George Bush, who, by the way, hates President Trump. But Karl Rove came up with that winning formula. The problem for the Republicans in 2008 and 2012 is they could not come up with another winning slogan to counter Barack Obama, which was this message of hope. And then, of course, um, in 2016, Donald Trump comes along from right outside the political mainstream, make America great again, saying to Americans, you are victims of globalisation, of uh, these bankers. He was very antagonistic towards bankers in the election campaign. So, um, you know, there there was this anger, which he was able to mobilise. And, of course, part of the problem is that some of that anger is also felt by people who love their guns And have got extremist point of view. And that's why it's so worrying about what Donald Trump is making respectable by his language. And this is why we're seeing this fracturing that's going on in America today.
0: And this is why part of the reason why he doesn't have the support of many Republicans as well is that his sort of divisiveness...
1: Well, he, he is devised if um, the Republican Party is pretty well gone. Um, in the, in the, if you think back to uh, George Bush Senior, who died, of course, recently, it's interesting to note that his party no longer exists. So Prescott Bush, so that's grandpappy, right? So he was a senator from the north. So the industrial heartland of the north was the heartland of Abraham Lincoln, and the heartland of the Republican Party. It's not the heartland of the Republicans today. The heartland of the Republicans are the southern states and the mountain states. So it's very interesting how you've got this geographic realignment that has gone on, plus, of course, those states in the Midwest as well. So we've seen, therefore, this realignment. So the old traditional areas of the Republican Party are now Democrat, or should be democratic, Mrs. Clinton had done better in 2016, um, and you've got a whole new power base. And this, beg- this goes back to 1968, um, the campaign by Richard Nixon, who would say, yes, I am a Republican. It's the party of Abraham Lincoln, but it's not the party of civil rights. He played the race card in 1968 and has been able to go very well down that path for a lot of other Republican candidates. Donald Trump is very much in that Nixon mould. There's a very good movie doing the rounds at the moment on Lyndon Johnson, and it looks at the role of Lyndon Johnson in getting that civil rights legislation passed. So he was from the South. He was in traditional Republican territory, but it was held by the Democrats. And what is interesting is that he was able to force through the civil rights legislation, and when he signed that legislation, he said, "We have ne- the Democrats have now lost the South for a generation. He was spot on because it enabled Nixon a few years later to come along and say, yes, the Republicans are the party of Abraham Lincoln, but we're not the party of civil rights legislation. Vote for us. And thus you see this, this revolution in those southern states that are now held by the Republicans. Very interesting development. But the worry that I've got is that we, when we think of terrorism in the United States, we think of Muslim terrorists, whereas we've got this warning from Daryl Johnson that you, we've got to be looking far more at white extremism. Um, who, so it's whites with weapons with a political agenda to the far right. They are the real terrorists in the United
0: States. This has been Global Truths with Dr. Keith Souter. It's recorded in the studios of Podcast One. Producer is me, Kate Mack. Production assistance by Liv Proud. Audio production by Darcy Thompson. And for more episodes, head to podcastone.com.au or download the Podcast One app.